Father, we come to you this morning, and we come in humility before your word. Lord, as we try to address some questions that are on our hearts, we want to see more clearly. We want to see as you would have us see. We want to seek what you would have us seek. So help us in that. I pray that my words are, uh, are clear, that they're true. Um, if they're off, uh, show us. We love you, Lord. We love your word. Uh, guide us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's talk about questions for a moment. Questions are a good thing, not a bad thing. A couple questions uh, this morning, even as people were walking in, just to show you the, the range. Got a wonderful question from a grandmother who's an 11-year-old granddaughter, said, who made God? Where did God come from? That's a great question. How do you explain that to an 11-year-old? We won't have time for that one today. On the other end, uh, just a really sad, difficult story of somebody who a 40-year friendship has dissolved over a social media post. These things are hard. So how as believers do we, do we lean into these things? Do we, do we think as Jesus would have us think? If you're newer with us, we've been in a, a series uh, called The Character of Justice, and we've been trying to understand what biblical justice means, this, this Hebrew word mishpat. We've been looking at justice and righteousness and loving kindness, and we've tried to dig into who is the very character of God and where do these things come from. So we've looked at some Old Testament passages, we've looked at some of Jesus's parables, and we've tried to build a foundation for justice. And then today we're going to answer some questions. And I want to frame it by taking you to a passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 37. I still like hearing pages turn. I can... I can hear people clicking as well. It's all good. It's all God's word. But may we be a people who love God, loves God's word. Amen? All right? When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. And I'm going to take you to 43 and 44. Woe to you Pharisees because you love 
the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. Now I want you to consider Jesus' words. I want you to think about Jesus' approach to the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees are the religious rulers of the day. They're the ones who supposedly have all their theology buttoned up and are doing the right things. But Jesus has a problem with the Pharisees. And I want to identify that problem. I want to point it out and then set the table for our discussion around some of these questions. So at the very inside of our hearts, Jesus has a problem with the Pharisees. He says what? You neglect justice. Specifically, you don't, you're not generous towards the poor. There's no love of God and there's no justice. You are neglecting the love of God and you are neglecting justice. Now, I want to put that at the center. These are Jesus' words. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. But I want to expand that a little bit and I want to put the cross of Jesus Christ at the very core of our thinking. Because as we address some of these questions, I believe there's a way to think from the inside out that will help us as we deal with some of these specific questions. So when you think of the cross, you think of what Jesus did for us, and you think of the vertical relationship to love God, but then the horizontal relationship to love your neighbor. And as we learned a few weeks ago, that definition of neighbor extends. So how do we love God? How do we love our neighbors? That that is the very core of what we're about. I used to be a biology major, so I'm going to use a fancy symbol. These are issues that are primary. I'm going to put a one there. These are primary things. Everybody with me? Okay, if you hated science and math and all that, I'm sorry. These are primary issues. Now, the Pharisees, they're going to get caught up into some secondary issues. They're going to go to the nth degree on how they tithe. Splitting up the herbs and the rue and all these other herbs. And they want people to see those external practices. Jesus says, great, you're doing these things, but you've neglected what's primary. Are you with me on this? They have neglected what is primary. So I want to suggest to us this morning that there is a way to think from the inside out. Now, what is so interesting in the context of justice, Jesus identifies the way that we care for the poor, the vulnerable, the least of these. We see this throughout Scripture, but he puts it at the core, not on the periphery. It's not an option. It's at the core. If our, if our love for God is there, then our love for our neighbor is there as well. So I want to suggest to us there's a way to think from the inside out. 
And then I want to put another circle out here. And this is what I'm going to define as our culture. This is the outside world. Outside the church that is not going to have a vertical relationship with God necessarily, but a horizontal relationship, just people among people. All right, so I want this picture here as we address some of our questions. Have I lost anybody yet? All right, so we've got a model. We've got a way to think about this. Now let's dive into question number one. We talk about the poor, the oppressed, the widows and orphans, but we haven't really talked about how they got to those places. How can we talk about injustices dealt to them in such a way that it doesn't become a partisan issue, but does address the path to injustice? That's a great question. Talk amongst yourselves and figure that one out. Let me give you, let me give you some tips on this. Let's, let's think through this. So if we have our inside-out model, what is at the core of injustice? It's a thing called sin. Where does sin start from? I'm going to take you all the way back. I want to go, I want to, go to Romans 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. There is a depth and a breadth to sin that we shall not minimize. I want to take you to verse 28. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. I believe sometimes we underestimate the depth and the breadth of sin. That whole part about inventing ways to do evil. Any understanding of history will see that that has come to pass in many, many, many ways. That's reality. That's truth. We ought not to ignore that. Sin is both vertical against God and it is horizontal against other people. It is personal and it is systemic. It is a both and. Now, 
the answer to the problem of sin is the cross. If we had more time, I'd I'd expand that a little bit. But the one who is just died for us on the cross, paid that penalty, took all that upon himself. That's the gospel. But that same gospel, vertical relationship with God, pays that debt, we're adopted children of God, all those wonderful, glorious things we like to talk about, that same gospel demands that we reach out in love. It is not simply this, it is this as well. So when we talk about what is at the core of injustice, there is a sin, and I think specifically, um, we talked a little bit about it last week. We said where there's no root, or where there's no fruit, there's no example, there's no demonstration of God's love, there's no root. In other words, if we have our creed right that we sang about, that ought to manifest itself into the ways that we love other people, including the vulnerable, the least of these. That is at the core. Now, why does it become such a partisan issue? What I just said, does that seem like really clear? It ought to be. All right, I, I, don't, I don't say love God here and you know what? Love other people, that's kind of out there. That's an optional deal. Or I just want to love the people that love me back. I want to love the people that make me look good. The Pharisees, what are they after? They're after the acknowledgement of other people. Wow, you look great. Look at you. Loving others, being generous, is not an option. Now, we get into partisan issues sometimes. And good night, I'm going to use the words conservative and liberal. Are we okay? Can we take a deep breath? We have some of both in our congregation. We have people who voted differently, who still love and serve shoulder to shoulder. That's a good thing, not a bad thing. We can agree to disagree agreeably about some stuff, but here's what I want you to see. Sometimes we get trapped into this. We think from the outside in. Let me give you an example. Okay? And those of you that are like political scientists, you're going to rip me and say you're not going into enough detail. I'm going to give you a broad generalization. But conservatives tend to focus on personal responsibility. That's just what they talk about individual behavior. That's a big deal. Does Jesus talk about personal responsibility? Of course he does. Liberals, by definition, tend to focus more on systems. Right? If we have more time, we could get into that. But we, we, they tend to look at systems a little bit more. Does Jesus attack systems at times? Does the Old Testament attack 
systems of times. There were were systemic provisions of generosity in the Old Testament. There was the year of Jubilee where every seven times seven years that any, you know, people were free and debts were covered and all kinds of stuff. There was uh, the, the, the practice of gleaning where you didn't, you didn't harvest all your crops. You left something for those in need. What I need you to see this morning, it is personal and it is systemic. If we simply have a political lens that says, I only see it this way, then we'll tend to minimize that. The gospel is bigger than either the Republican or the Democratic Party. It's bigger. None of them have a perfect view. Now, am I saying don't engage in... I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying think of it from the inside out, not the outside in. So, what do we do? Well, there's times we just have to flat out repent and say, I've, I've, I haven't thought this way. Maybe there are relationships I need to work on. Maybe there's an attitude. Maybe I need to search my own heart for pride, self-centeredness, intellectual arrogance and laziness. I will generally drift towards people that I think have read the same books I have and think the way I do. We tend to do that. We ought to be more generous at times with those who think differently. Now, Now that we got that easy one out of the way, I want to go to question two, which is a more specific version of this. We've got questions about hell that we may or may not get to. Those are the lighter ones. Uh, Question two, how do we address the issue of racism in a way that aligns with what Scripture says and allow for ourselves to get beyond the buzzwords from both sides and begin to address the sin that is racism. If I just take a deep breath on that one. The first step in this, let's think from the inside out. Just get on the internet and do a search. Is that, no, no, don't do that. Start with the gospel. Start with, because the resources that we need are there. I want to take you to a couple places. I want, you to, I want to take you to Paul's letter to the Galatians. Galatians 3, verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That's a powerful statement. 
That's a powerful description of a multi-ethnic early church. We need that picture in our minds when we think about what church ought to be. There's a vision. I want to take you all the way to Revelation chapter 7. After I looked, this is John, after I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, and people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's a beautiful picture. That's what God has for us. That's the inside. Now, it's not the world we live in today. There is not an alignment with that vision. So how do we respond? I'm going to give you a few things. First of all, I think we need to acknowledge the ways that followers of Jesus have embodied these ideals. Have there been people throughout history in the name of Jesus, fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel, brought us closer to that biblical vision? The answer is yes. I think of a William Wilberforce in England that, that worked to abolish the slave trade. We think of some of the abolitionists in the United States. We think of MLK and the, the civil rights movement that had at its core the gospel. Now we can complicate that and we can critique some of those things, but there has been a movement fueled by the gospel by this vertical relationship with God that extends out to others that has brought about positive change over time in our world. That is true. That's historically true. At the same time, we need to acknowledge, we need to confess, we need to lament the ways that we as followers of Jesus have failed to live up to these ideals. From the institution of slavery that was defended, supported by many in the church. You can read volumes of scriptural defenses of slavery. Now, I would make a very strong case that those arguments were from the outside in. They were saying, this is the system we have. I'm going to find, pick and choose whatever I can to make my case. Now, it's, it's easier for us to think about back in the day, day, long, long ago. It's harder to think of more current times for us. It just is. I had the experience of growing up in Greenwood, Indiana, I've shared before teaching experience at uh, multi-ethnic schools. It was interesting to me uh, teaching an American studies class uh, a couple years before I came on staff here and really learning for the first time some of the pain of our Indiana history. 
There's things I didn't get in fourth grade. I'm not saying that. Should have had all that. Those are complicated issues, but there's a reality of this state, central Indiana, redlining real estate practices, discriminatory policies that are just part of our history. Those things are true. I believe we need to acknowledge some of that. Now, I'm just going to be <laughs> straight up with you. We get uncomfortable when we start talking about some of these things. And we begin to say things like, well, I'm not responsible for that. I wasn't there. I just wonder what I would have done. I think back to my, my, my grandfather's church in the south side of Indianapolis, and I, I don't know the whole history, but I wonder. I, wa- I wonder what I would have done in those situations. And I think there's some humility that we need to have. There's some lament, there's some acknowledgement that we need to have. Question number three. I'm going to run out of time, so I've got to get to this one. I'm just scratching the surface and making everybody uncomfortable for a minute. That's just what I'm doing today. Question three. How do we as Christians respond to accusations that we are the ones who are acting unjustly towards the marginalized in our society? How do we look at that? Those who say, from here, I'm looking at you all and I don't see justice. I don't see real engagement. All right, popular uh, atheist book, Christopher Hitchens title God is not great and he says the you know one of the biggest evidences for God's lack of existence is the church itself those are harsh words those are harsh words so how do we respond to the critique from here that says we as followers of Jesus are not loving we're not doing what we should be doing And this is where I I, I believe it's just so crystal clear that we have to start here. Whenever I hear these critiques, whenever I look at, I go back in history, I look at current things, and I, I, I feel like Jesus is getting drugged through the mud. I feel that way. How do, how do we respond to these things? I think, first of all, we need to go back here and we need to paint a clear picture of who Jesus is, a clear picture of what he commands us to do. The outside world doesn't see that picture sometimes. That needs to be so clear for us, God's love, God's generosity, God's care, God's sacrifice for us. We need to be able to make a distinction between who Jesus actually is, what the Bible teaches, and the way followers have not followed that. We just do. We have to make that distinction. And that often includes looking in the mirror. And I believe this. I think two passages I want to leave you with. 
One is from 2 Corinthians 5. And I'm going to take you to verse 16. 2 Corinthians 5, 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in this way. We do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Then one other passage, 1 Peter 3, 15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. May we live in such a way, even with those who are opposed to what we believe, that they see Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you, even in these moments, we come in humility before your word that challenges us. And may we take your words now and may it do its work and lead us closer to the center, closer to the core of who we ought to be. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Back to the core. We unite around that which is most important as we come together to the communion table. So I would invite you now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've put your faith and your trust in him, doesn't mean you got it all figured out, but you've taken that step of faith. I would invite you to take out the the bread and we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed he gathered his disciples he broke the bread and after giving thanks he said take ye this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me may we receive the bread together in the same way Jesus took the cup He said, this represents my blood. This is the blood of the new covenant. Blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. So as we receive the bread, may we now receive the cup together. Lord Jesus, we come to you. We come in gratitude. As we receive the bread and the cup, we proclaim your death. We celebrate your resurrection and we look forward to your return. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.